Our Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of Everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amanda. What are you doing after the service? (laughs) Do you want to go out for a coffee with me? Uh, Today we begin a a journey with Jesus through Luke's gospel in term one. And I always think that it's important that Jesus centers uh, big time in the church community. The only difference between us and Every other organization in the world really is Jesus. That's what makes the church unique. Jesus made unique claims. He did unique things. 
and uh, we make sure that he's at the centre of all we do and, and what we're about. So as we head out of this uh, facility in the next couple of months, as we kind of go onto the road, head out on our road trip, uh, we want to make sure that we're on the road with Jesus, that we're not uh, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, wandering around aimlessly, that we have a sense of knowing who Jesus is, uh, walking with him, listening to his word, letting his Holy Spirit guide us. And so that's where we're heading over the next, uh, this term really, but I want to start by asking you a question about Jesus' life. What, what do we really know about Jesus the man? Uh, we know a lot about his ministry and, and his three years public ministry. We don't know a heck of a lot from his early life, from the, the scriptures, though we know a lot from the sources around the scriptures, Jewish sources and others, what it would have been like to be a young Jesus, to be growing up in a church community or a synagogue community for Jesus. And I want us to get a bit of a sense this morning of our lives. We often think, you know, our faith is, is of course, centered on Jesus' death for us. He died for our sins. God raised him from the dead. That's really important. That's the vital center of our faith. But actually, Jesus lived a life, until he was about 33 at least, and uh, he embodied a spiritual, spiritual practices, and I want us to get a little sense of what that looked like for Jesus, and, and perhaps what that you know, can look like for us, or needs to look like for us. So here's a little, um, just a, a slide I put together from Luke's Gospel. So um, the big red, green, yellow, whatever they are, boxes, blue, um, that's, the chap- that's the age of Jesus the time of his life. Underneath is the amount of chapters that the Luke, the doctor who wrote this gospel, he, he went around um, interviewing eyewitnesses, he spoke to the apostles, and he wrote down this gospel, this history of Jesus. And, and he gives two chapters to the first 12 years of Jesus' life. Um, actually, it's probably more two chapters to about the first you know, few months of Jesus' life. There's a bit there about him being age 12 in the temple. And then from the ages of 13 to 30, it goes radio silence. We don't know what Jesus was doing. We know he was working as a carpenter, uh, which could have been stonemasonry, all sorts of stuff. He, he was a trade person. He knew how to work hard. He would have had blisters on his hands. Uh, he would have had a sore back at the end of the day. Jesus was a hard-working carpenter through those years. Um, I just, it'd be lovely to know more about that. Um, and then from the ages of 30 to 33, where we are today, Jesus is about 30, we, he begins his public ministry. Luke gives about 16 or 17 chapters to that amount of Jesus' life, three years. And then Luke gives almost five chapters to the final week of Jesus' life. So from, age, from when he was born to age 30, we have two chapters. The last week of Jesus' life, Luke devotes five chapters to why do you think that is? What are some questions that rise in your mind about the intentions and the focus and on what Luke and the other gospel writers really needed us to know, what was really vital? It's clear that that last week where he offers his life, where he's arrested, where he is surrendered to the authorities and is taken to the cross, he dies for the sins of the world, and he's raised on the third day. It's obviously the gospel writers are like, that is really important. We're going to give two chapters to the first 30 years of Jesus' life, um, and then we're going to give a whole five chapters to his last week. But what would it have been like to be Jesus growing up in Nazareth? He's come back to his hometown here in this reading. Um, have a think about it like this. Jesus grew up attending worship on the Sabbath every week. He attended worship on Saturday every week, in the synagogue 
And probably most days he would have had some connection to the synagogue from about the age of five as a Jewish lad. He would have learned the Torah. He would have learned the Old Testament. Um, Many Jewish young men would have been able to recite uh, not only large slabs, but indeed whole books of the Old Testament, like the book of Genesis. They memorized. That's how they learned. They didn't write things down on on an iPad or a tablet and kind of listen to it in their earphones. They memorized So Jesus quite likely would have had memory and memorization of large portions, if not whole books, of the Bible. They would have learnt daily the scriptures. Um, He would have attended, uh, he would have been a part of all the feasts and rituals of his people, all the celebrations that the Old Testament um, called them to celebrate. And the life and ministry of Jesus looked a bit like this in summary. Um, before his ministry but also including his ministry he gathered regularly to worship pray learn with other believers in verse 16 a man just read to us it said as was his custom he went to the synagogue for worship for prayer for learning for teaching he regularly gathered with God's people to hear the word to pray to praise to sing to have fellowship he did this his whole life secondly he knew the bible When the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, it was a massive scroll like this made of parchment. It would have rolled out like way across this room, probably twice as long. It was a huge scroll, 66 chapters. When it was handed to him, it says he found the place where it was written. So he knew what he was looking for and he knew what he wanted to read. And in that massive scroll of 66 chapters, many, many meters long, he was able to find the place. He knew the scriptures. He prayed several times a day, at least, regular set prayer times. But also, we know from the New Testament, from Luke particularly, that Jesus prayed sometimes all night. He often went off by himself to pray. Prayer was central and a part of who Jesus was from a boy right through to here where he begins his ministry. And that's um, Jesus' life and ministry in the early years. And as we get to this chapter where Jesus effectively stands up before the people of God, the old covenant people, the Old Testament people of God, and he begins his public ministry and he finds the place where it was written, a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus reads that passage, he finds it deliberately and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, sight for the blind, to release for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads that deliberately and it sets the agenda for his ministry. This is what Jesus said about his ministry that it consists of. And I'm sorry if that's a bit small, that writing. Jesus said, my ministry, my work is about this, to proclaim the good news, to speak to preach, to teach, to tell, to bear witness, to proclaim the good news of God that is dawning in me and my life to teach and preach the word of God. That is what I'm here to do, said Jesus. Secondly, if you listen to that Isaiah prophecy, he said, I'm here to do good deeds. I'm here to produce good deeds, to to set people free, to open blind eyes. I'm here to minister to the broken and the lost. And if you read the whole prophecy in Isaiah, there's a couple of little verses that aren't included in Luke. Maybe it was just shorthand. But one of them is to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus says, I've come to bring peace and healing, to bind up the brokenhearted to people's hearts, not necessarily peace to people's lives, because he can um, separate our lives with... um, 
in families and whatnot, some of you may know that. In allegiance to Jesus, it doesn't always bring peace within your family and friendships, but peace within the heart. And then thirdly, he's going to do both of these things. He's going to preach the word. He's going to teach the word. He's going to proclaim the kingdom of God. He's going to do good deeds and show compassionate action and be kind and gracious in serving others. He's going to do both of those in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this. So this morning I wanted to just to look at those three things because if this is Jesus' ministry, if this is what he is about, if this is what God sent him to do, clearly this is what he sent the church to do as well once he was killed, once he was raised to life. This is our job as well. So let's, again, apologize for the small writing, but I'll read it out. Let's have a look at what Jesus meant by the good news, by the gospel, the announcement of good news. He said, um, one theologian says, the gospel lies at the root of all that the church does. The good news of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, his death, his resurrection, that story, that gospel, that good news is at the heart of everything the church does. John Stott, a pastor who died a few years ago, a very senior Christian leader in the evangelical world, said there can be no doubt that the essence of the gospel, the good news, is Jesus Christ himself. The gospel is Jesus. It's about him and it's Uh, by him that we are saved it would be impossible to preach the good news without talking about jesus and then i love john piper a pastor from the u.s who says this the gospel is not a theory it's not a philosophy it's not an idea even the gospel is not even a way of thinking or feeling the gospel is an event in history god has done something in history he has sent jesus christ into the world this happened at a point in time and Christ died and rose again. I'll forget about um, Scott McKnight on his King Jesus Gospel. You can ask me later about that. But it's very interesting. Just quickly, the Gospel is Christ died for our sins and was raised to life. But the Gospel is also Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills what Israel couldn't do. Israel could never be the faithful son, the faithful child of God. They always fell short. They always messed up. They were supposed to obey the law. They were supposed to fulfill all of God's laws. And they always failed. They they kept falling short. And Jesus finally fulfills that journey. He's the faithful son. He obeys the law. He obeys God. He's perfect and sinless. He fulfills all of the Old Testament hopes of living for God's glory. He fulfills all of the prophecies. He fulfills all of the looking forward that we see in the Old Testament. And when we read the Old Testament now, we read it through this, like this lens, this Jesus lens. When we find Jesus and we look for Jesus, we see how the Old Testament looks towards Jesus. He fulfills all of that. And then, of course, he has his own story, his own life. And then, of course, the gospel is the announcement, the news. I've said before, not everyone who hears the good news of Jesus will be saved. But no one will be saved unless they hear the good news of Jesus. Not everyone who hears the message of Jesus, who hears the good news, not everyone who hears it or reads it or even understands it will be saved. But no one will be saved unless they hear the good news of Jesus. Let's have a couple of looks at at Jesus, this example of word and deed in his own life. Because churches, we can tend to kind of fall into camps on this. It's like churches, maybe real Bible churches, we just teach the Bible, we're about the Bible, and we sort of proclaim the good news, we want to evangelize, we want to get the word out there, and that's really important and great, and maybe not taking as seriously the need to 
consider the, the hurts and the hopes and the sorrows and the challenges and the problems and issues of people in our community and not compassionately serving them or, or responding with loving, humble service. On the other hand, churches can be kind of all gung-ho as we're going to change the community and we're just going to go out there and do good stuff and we're going to serve people and we're just going to be kind and compassionate and loving. We're just going to be really lovely and it's going to be great. We're going to just bless people and, and that's really important too. But for Jesus, they were both two sides of the one coin that he held together in himself perfectly by the power of God's Spirit working through him. So have a look here in Luke chapter, chapter 7. Um, John the Baptist, a forerunner to Jesus, he's in prison. He's about to have his head chopped off by Herod. Um, and is it Herod? Yeah, one of those guys, one of those bad kings. And he sends some people to Jesus because he's hearing stuff about Jesus and he's a bit confused. He's like, well, we th- you're the Messiah, right? We think you're the one. But he's a little bit confused, which gives you a hint that maybe Jesus was doing things and being things that some of the Jews just didn't expect the Messiah to be and do. So he's a bit confused. So he sends his disciples. They come to Jesus and like, are you the one? Are you the, are you the one we should expect? Um, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, or <laughs> should we, are you the one or should we expect someone else? It's not a great endorsement for Jesus, right? You know, it's like, oh, we've got some doubts about you, Jesus. Is there someone else coming? Um, and Jesus, at that time, he was curing diseases and sicknesses. He was casting out evil spirits. He was restoring sight to the blind. He was doing all those beautiful, compassionate deeds. And he replies, well, just go back and report to John the Baptist what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind, they receive their sight. The lame, they walk. Those who have leprosy, who are cut off from their people, they're cleansed and restored to their communities. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. So these beautiful, compassionate deeds, this loving service. And it's like, yeah, that's what it's about. That's what we should be doing. Just good deeds, just serving the community and doing good stuff and helping people. That's what the church should be doing. And then he goes on and tell John that the good news is proclaimed or preached to the poor, to everyone in fact. And blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. And then in Luke 9, there's another example of these two word and deed working together in Jesus as one When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. He gave them authority to do good deeds, to help, to heal, to restore, to bless, to serve others. He gave them that power to do compassionate action, to produce good deeds. So it's just about meeting needs right, just about looking after the community. That's what we should be doing. And it's like, no, hang on, there's more to what he told them. And he sent them out to proclaim, to preach and teach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they went out, village to village, and they proclaimed the good news, the word that Jesus said he had come to bring, and they did good deeds. They healed the sick and helped those who were struggling. They did both, and they did them as one, two sides of the one gospel coin. So Jesus came to proclaim a word, a message. And let's be real here. There's absolutely no way that any church anywhere in the history of all of the history of the church can find a way to make the message of Jesus completely inoffensive, completely tolerable, completely acceptable 
to the community around them. No church has ever done it. And no church can ever do it. Because Jesus claims they come at us in a pointy manner. When I first started to hear about Jesus, while I was drawn and, and, and fascinated and, and loved hearing about this person, I also felt a sense of, of fear, of anger, that this person was starting to make claims on my life. If Jesus was who he said he was, my life would have to change dramatically. It would mean that I was no longer in control of my life. He was. And so there's no way to make that message completely inoffensive and innocuous. If you do, you have no longer got the gospel. You've got something else. So preach the word, said Jesus. Proclaim the word. And the other thing Jesus did that we're seeing is he produced good deeds. And I'm not going to read that for you. I'll read it later. It's in the notes. Um, it was a bit long-winded. But the Christian church has had a history of, of doing both of these things well and a history of doing one of them well and one of them badly uh, and a history of doing neither of them well. So ideally, we want to be a church community that, that does both of these well. We, we uphold and proclaim and teach the word and, and draw people into that. But if you look at some of the the, the movements throughout history, the, the Clapham sect, the evangelicals uh, in Great Britain in about the 18th century. Uh, this is what's written about them. Historically, evangelicals were leaders when it came to changing society. There's your compassionate deeds. Evangelicals were at the forefront of the abolition of slavery. It wasn't just, hey, you know, believe in Jesus, read the Bible. It was believe in Jesus, read the Bible. And slavery is wrong and an offense to God. <laughs> and we've got to do something about it. Um, they were at the forefront of that, and that pastors led the movement. It was also evangelicals, that's those who you know, hold to the scriptures as the word of God, believe in the gospel, who were on the front lines of calling for the women to have the right to vote, protesting child labor laws. And in the 20th century, the early 1900s, the Protestant church kind of split into two streams, kind of went mainline Protestant, who went to the side of the compassionate deeds, the good deeds, social justice and action. And then the evangelicals and fundamentalists went emphasis on morality, salvation, just the word. And the church, we kind of split. And fortunately, in the last 20, 30 years, there's been a coming back together where we're understanding that it's important that we proclaim the word and teach the good news, um, uphold the scriptures. And equally important is that we have compassionate action and uh, loving deeds that we honor Jesus with and serve others through. So here's a couple more examples of Jesus uh, embodying deeds and words as one. Um, Luke 4, at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who had sickness, and he laid his hands on each one, and he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not let them speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So there, yeah, Jesus is just here to preach the word and teach the Bible, right? Um, well... No, he's doing good deeds. He's, he's serving people. He's helping people where they're hurting. He's meeting them where their needs are. He's doing both. He's doing both all the time. And then at daybreak, this is the next day. Um, I've got the right slide up there. Jesus went out to a solitary place. Everyone was looking for him. They came to him and said, Don't leave us, Jesus. We've got to keep this great ministry going. You're meeting needs. You're serving people. You're doing good deeds. It's great. We can build something around this, you know. Uh, and he's like, No, I've got to go. Why do you have to go? I've got to proclaim. I must proclaim. 
I must preach and teach the good news of the kingdom of God in the other towns as well. So I've got to continue. I can't just stay here. Um, I've got to continue preaching. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judah. And in Luke 5, we, we see both of those word and deed of Jesus coming together uh, in this one verse. When the news about him spread all the more, crowds of people came to hear him. They came to hear the word. They came to hear the good news. They came to hear the Bible, Jesus teaching the Bible. They came to hear the word of God and to be healed of their sickness. They had needs. They were hurting. And Jesus did both. He upheld the good news, the word of God. He proclaimed and preached it and taught it. And he practically helped people, supported them and ministered to them. And he did this, my friends, not just because he was the son of God. Jesus did this in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that God has given us to continue doing this ministry. Words and deeds in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised to all believers in Luke 3. This is John the Baptist. When they ask him, are you the one, John? Are you the man? He's like, no, no, I'm not not the one. There's one coming more powerful than I. And the straps of his sandals, I'm not even worthy to bend down and like put his shoes on, take them off. I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. That one who's coming, say this with me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And sometimes I've seen in churches over the years, people rightly hunger and thirst and want more of God's Spirit in their life. I think, yes, do that. Jesus said we can ask the Father for the Holy Spirit because he is good and he will not give bad gifts to his children. On the other hand, I think the Holy Spirit has a certain agenda as well. The Holy Spirit loves following the word, loves exalting Jesus, loves seeing the good news proclaimed. He's anointed Jesus here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. So the Holy Spirit loves the word. The Holy Spirit loves when Jesus is exalted and honored and spoken of and preached and proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit loves it when people are serving others in love, compassionate action, Good deeds. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, but also to minister to the needs of people around me. So, if you want more of the Spirit in your life, get into the Scriptures. Know what you believe. Know the Bible. Know the good news of Jesus. Share it. Speak it. Teach it. Speak it to yourself. Preach to the fuzzy animals on your bed, whatever it might be. Just get the word out there, you know. Live the word. Love the word. And the Spirit follows the word. And loves the word as well. And look around to who you can serve, who you can minister to, who you can step out and sacrifice. The Holy Spirit loves to bring healing and ministry and aid to others through our lives. And then Jesus at the end of Luke 24, the risen Jesus, look at what he said to the disciples. He said a number of things there, but just the last bit. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Jesus didn't expect you, he doesn't expect me, to continue the ministry that he began in our own strength, with just our own capacities. You can't do this. I can't do this. We can't do word ministry. We can't bring the word to others in in a powerful way, in a way that they can hear and receive, unless the Holy Spirit helps and empowers us. We can't serve others and show love and compassion without 
the Spirit. I know people. I know when I was in Melbourne, our church that I was at, Q Baptist, was kind of not, not quite in the city, but close. I used to get a lot of really hurting, broken people come through, um, addiction, drugs, alcohol, violence, all sorts of stuff. And a lady in our street who worked for the Uniting Church, she worked front line with them. And it was very difficult. It was very hard to be facing despair and darkness and brokenness and, and, and just the horrors of human life sometime, day in, day out, and, and talking to her about it. You know, unless she had the Spirit, unless the Holy Spirit was helping her, she would have just been worn down by it. We need the Spirit to, to preach and teach and bring the Word, and we need the Holy Spirit uh, also to do compassionate deeds and to serve others. So here's, a, as we close up, a self-evaluation tool for churches and for Christians. Following on from Jesus' statement that this is what he was about when he came. This is what his ministry was about. Are people being taught the Bible, the good news of Jesus? Are people invited into faith through Jesus, through evangelism, in our groups and activities? Is the word of God, the message of Jesus on our lips and part of what we do as a church community? Is that happening? Um, secondly, are those of us who are following Jesus, are we, are we doing good deeds? Are we responding compassionately to the needs around us? Um, are we? And then thirdly, which oversees both of those two things, if you like, are we prayerfully dependent upon and sensing the Holy Spirit guiding, enabling and empowering both of these things? And I want to say coming into this church, I get the sense that this is a church that really values both of those things and is really committed to both of these things. Um, in terms of our constitution, our statement of faith, getting to know people and talk to people, I get the sense this is very much a church community that values the Word of God, that values the Scriptures, that really celebrates and rejoices in the good news of Jesus and the message about Jesus, and also a church that wants to help and serve, uh, wants to be practically engaged with our community and do good deeds. I get the sense that we're a church that does both of those things uh, and are seeking to do both of those things well. And yet we need that prayer undergirding all of that to sustain uh, that ministry um, so that we can do it. Just look at Jesus as we close. Prayer sustains and empowers us to proclaim the word. Produce good deeds. Word and works ministry needs Holy Spirit power. Otherwise, it's exhausting. Um, Jesus was baptized and as he was praying, heaven was opened. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Maybe you're a parent of children or you're busy working, you can't get away on your own sometimes. Pray on the toilet, the shower, on the drive to work. There's lots of places you can pray while you're mowing the lawns. I listen to podcast sermons when I mow the lawns. It makes it go faster. You know, so I can hear the word. Because uh, I'm a pastor, I need someone, I need to hear the word from others. So I listen. I've got a few preachers I listen to over the week and love to hear the word and, and get around that myself. Um, once when Jesus was praying in private, Jesus took Peter and John with him up on a mountain to pray. He prayed with other people. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Then he said to his disciples, when you pray, not if you pray. He told them a parable that they should always pray and not give up. And he said to them, be on your watch and always pray. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, he was in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus sustained his word ministry, his, his works ministry, his proclaiming of the word, his producing of good deeds. He sustained it by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. But prayer was a big part of that sustaining. Just before Amanda, that passage that Amanda read, Jesus had just been 40 days in the wilderness where he was fasting and praying for 40 days before he began his ministry. No wonder the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. No wonder the power of God was coming on his life. He didn't do that as a special Son of God thing. He did his ministry as the Son of God, but as fully human. And that means that we have access to the same Spirit. We're called to the same ministry to proclaim the Word, to do good deeds, uh, and to preach and teach the good news of Jesus. So let's pray together as we finish. And um, just to wrap up, the life and ministry of Jesus there is what we started with. He proclaimed the good news. He produced good deeds. And he did those words and deeds in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Our lives and ministry need to follow his example. So let's continue to do what we're doing, church. Let's continue to gather together in small groups on Sundays in our own private worship times with, with other believers to listen to the word, to hear the word, to, to have a heart to share the message of Jesus, to share who he is with others. And let's continue to do good deeds, to serve our community, to look out for needs around us, uh, to have an eye out and, and a heart to help and to serve. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit as we do that. Let's take time to pray, to sit before him, to draw strength from him, and to pray and intercede uh, so that we can do the mission he's called us to do. I'm going to get everyone to uh, come together and stand. Trent, did you see my commissioning thing here? Was that it down here somewhere? Can we all stand? And I'm going to pray for everyone. Um, It's been great to pray, commission certain leaders in the church this morning and and volunteers. Um, But we know that God calls all of us to love and serve him in our lives. Who believes that? I believe it. Even for those of us who are leaders in various roles, our primary calling from God is as his beloved children, forgiven and welcome into the family of God. We're all called to serve and love God and others in the world each day. Whether you're a parent, single, married, younger or older, tall or short, from any part of the world, or whether you are retired, working in business, a stay-at-home parent, in medicine or education institutions, trade, community service, IT, hospitality, retail, volunteering, underemployed, overemployed, whatever. If you're a follower of Jesus, we all have a calling. We're all called to serve and be part of his mission know that every believer is called every christian works for jesus our lord and every follower of christ has a purpose and a part to play in extending this kingdom reality over all the earth for this reason uh, we want to finally commission and pray for all of us as we go out Um, and um, let's let's do that there'll be some prayers on the screen if you can pray them with me and I want to invite you before we say this prayer if you want to close no you can't close your eyes you've got to read it but uh, like if you want to hold out your hands in a position of surrender I I love praying like this I I love the position of surrender to just say Lord here I am I'm offering you who I am I'm offering you what I have Lord it's not much in fact it's hardly anything but Lord I surrender so if you feel comfortable doing that as we pray this together and we affirm our faith, let's do that. 
Let's say together. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, whose kingdom is within us. We reaffirm our love for and commitment to Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord. We, Lord God, we thank you that you have called all of us, young and old, man and woman, weak and strong, rich and poor, to be your children. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who gave his life so that we might become children of God. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit in our lives that enables us to live for you and be your witnesses in this world. Lord, empower us today in the name of Jesus to live out our calling this year, faithfully following you, witnessing boldly for Jesus and seeking to love others as you have loved us. Amen.